This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. You know, no one's like, he dunked it hard. It's like, oh, he just put that thing in there like he was putting a cat to bed or something. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Game Dev Advice, the Game Developers Podcast your place for resources and in-depth conversations with other game development professionals. I'm your host, John J.P. Podlasic. I've worked at 10 different game companies, starting back in 1989 with the TurboGrafx-16. Over the decades, I've developed games like Mortal Kombat, Avengers Initiative, Beavis and Butthead, and numerous others. I now work for a startup called Level X. But this podcast isn't about me, it's about you, and the game development community. So if you have questions or ideas, give a call 224-484-7733 or go to the gamedevadvice.com website. I have a great episode for you today, so let's kick things off with the new game dev advice. Hey, the show's back. I was recovering from post-GDC flu and busy at work. The show will be switching over to a twice-a-month format so I can keep things going here. Today's special guest is Tim Kittrow. For 25 years, he's enjoyed a legendary run as the signature voice of classic games like NBA Jam, NFL Blitz, NHL Hits, MLB Slugfest, Big Hurt Baseball, Wayne Gretzky Hockey, and NCAA College Slam. Unique in the industry for his ability to write and produce commentary and voice talent, Kitro is the only talent in gaming to voice all four major sports leagues. With NBA Jam, which grossed over $2 billion with a B to date, Tim's introduced Boom Shakalaka to the NBA lexicon and earned pop culture immortality. He's appeared on television and radio with ESPN and Fox Sports, Worked with NBA franchises such as the Warriors, Rockets, Clippers, Wizards, Bulls, Hornets, and Bucks, plus launch games with EA Sports, Acclaim, Bally, and Midway. His latest game, Mutant Football League, released in 2018, is garnering acclaim as a fan and industry favorite. Okay, so let's kick things off. From downtown Chicago to Crystal Lake, it's Game Dev Advice. Boom shakalaka. <laughs> How you doing, John? <laughs> Classic. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. This is great to have you on here and uh, such an icon in the industry. And I, I think people are going to really enjoy this interview. It's my pleasure, John. It's, uh, I, I was telling you before we uh, began that uh, it's, it's incredible. It's 26 years after NBA Jam came out. 
and I've I've had more interviews and press and everything else than you know the you know twenty six years uh, combined, and uh, it's it's really amazing that how how this game has lived on, and and mm-hmm. with the you know fun of uh, Twitter and social media, you know this is obviously something we couldn't have done years ago, but now it's a nice opportunity for me to uh, talk to fans and other you know game gamers and game developers and uh, podcasters. Mm-hmm. So really really happy to be on your show. Yeah, no, it's excellent, and and, and it's cool how social media and reunions and stuff bring people together and um we never had a chance to work together at midway but thanks to a midway reunion we started a yeah. conversation last year so yeah uh, that was cool so kind of tell me about some projects you're you're currently working on now because i know you got a lot of things in the hopper well the fun thing is that last year uh, we were at the gdc mark uh, Tremel, saldavita and myself and we did a post-mortem on jam and it was a really fun experience that we were kind of going through all these archive things and, and mm-hmm. learning things about the game that, uh, you know, a lot of things were new to me. And, uh, you know, Mark was really sweet. He said, uh, you know, you've really carried the torch for this, for this brand all these years. And it's been kind of like a man without a country for the last eight or nine years, (laughs) because the last uh, version we did of NBA Jam, of course, was the on fire edition uh, with EA Sports in Mm -hmm. 2011, 2010, we did NBA Jam. And that's what really kind of was the the reawakening of the beast. Uh, After that, I, I got to go on Sports Nation with uh, uh, Colin Coward, and we added he and, and Michelle Beadle as special characters, as secret characters, and I did a bunch of live stuff with them and introduced cool. the show. And that led to uh, uh, going on one of their short-lived shows called ESPN United. It was a nighttime show, more for like the college crowd. I did a highlight video for them, uh, Best Dunks of 2013. You can find it on YouTube or at my site, timkitsrow.com. So anyway, that kind of like relaunched everything. And then I was uh, contacted by the Houston Rockets. Uh, they'd seen that clip on ESPN. So I, I did a highlight video for those guys uh, about three years ago, I think now. It was actually Harden's very first 50-point game, hmm. which is hard to believe now. I think he had like six this year. Right. So uh, they sent me some highlights. Uh, we put it up on the big Jumbotron. They've got the biggest Jumbotron in the league. Uh, the commissioner was there. It was their 20th anniversary for the back-to-back championships. Uh-huh. So very exciting night to be there, especially when you know Harden hit his 50. Right. And uh, that video went on to win the best uh, in-game sports presentation video for all four major league sports in Seattle. So other teams saw that. And then I, I worked with uh, the Clippers last year doing a uh, NBA Jam Day, which was fantastic, and did highlights for them. And uh, worked with a bunch of other teams. Charlotte this year been doing highlights for the Golden State Warriors. So it's kind of been this renaissance uh, resurgence for me to – uh, not only be representing Jam, but as I said, Men Without a Country, because right now I think most people know that Jam has not been updated in eons, and it's still available as a download game, but uh, EA Sports has not figured out what they want to do with it. It's just kind of collecting dust on the shelf. So yeah. we're hoping with NBA Playgrounds that came out, NBA 2K picked them up and kind of put it, paired it together with NBA 2K. So now you've got a sim game and an arcade game. So right. uh, that was the original intention back in 2010 that EA was going to roll the new jam out with their uh, NBA Live. And then unfortunately, they had some uh, glitches and problems with that title, so they couldn't release it. Mm-hmm. And then instead of us being a freebie along with that title, then they charged full price for an arcade game, which which was not very popular with the fans, as, as mm-hmm. you can understand. So yeah. uh, it didn't sit well. And then the next year, they dropped the price to like 20 bucks. So the people who bought it for 60 were kind of bummed. And then they didn't do another version. They never really, really advertised it. And the funny thing is, we actually won the best game at E3, you know, best sports game. And you think of that, you know, we were this, you know, small 
title as far as they were concerned because they have, you know, they put in like 30, 40 million dollars into their uh, NBA Live or whatever and Mad, Madden even Madden more. Madden's crazy by, more, yeah. yeah. By now, it's like hundreds of millions over the years of what they put in. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, I wasn't sure whether they were happy about that or they were thinking, oh, you know, we really want to be known as the sim game company and, and, and NBA Live. And, and so whether they were thinking NBA Jam could cannibalize or up, you know, upstage oh, right. titles uh, because they had a huge WWF or whatever, you know, a, a cage uh, match game that year that they had all the cameras around. That was their big hype. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was really kind of uh, uh, disconcerting to me because, you know, winning the best game D3 is huge. Yeah. And it should have been the, the launch pad and, and there should have been more money put in and more money for marketing. And even years afterwards, I talked to people, fans like, oh, I, I didn't know EA did a version of NBA Jam, you know. And mm-hmm. so it was, it was hard to believe that they didn't take advantage. So I'm hoping this year, getting back to your question, what do you have going? Yeah. I've been trying to push things forward to try to get a new NBA jam out in any capacity I can. And I think the best way I can do that is by keeping the, the uh, title relevant mm-hmm. and by working with NBA teams and doing other projects. Certainly it brings it to a generation of NBA players and fans now in their twenties, thirties, they're maybe just, you know, behind that, you know, the, the uh, core, you know, group of uh, fans. Mm-hmm. Now they're seeing NBA jam as this entertaining way to see highlights. Uh, the Golden State Warriors, as I said, I've done two right. years of highlights for them. So it's really fun. And in the meantime, uh, I was contacted by Michael Mendheim out of Digital Dreams. He's here in Chicago. Now, he had a, a great hit with a game called Newton League Football uh, mm-hmm. back in 93 that actually had a Saturday morning cartoon show. It had action figures. Wow. And he had a really strong fan base, as a lot of these great games do, from, especially from that era. And he was able to get the rights, or however he did it, he relaunched it as Mutant Football League, and he brought me in to write the script and do uh, Grim Blitzrow, the greatest announcer in MFL history. So I had an <laughs> alter ego for that game, and I did two of the, uh, the other uh, characters in the booth. It was kind of a, a Simpsons and uh, Futurama kind of like cartoon setting for me, the ultimate uh-huh. experience for a, a voiceover actor, improv guy like myself to uh, be given the script and the character work to go further from my you know, NBA Jam and Slugfest and Blitz persona to, to really amp it up mm-hmm. and bring in a lot more comedy. And uh, I, I think it's a great title. And uh, once again, this is a um, small indie uh, company and he did the whole thing by uh, uh, raising money uh, okay. under a million dollars, I think, Kickstarter. So he's put four years of his life into it. And the hardest thing is, wow. you know, when you're a small company, how do you compete when you go to E3 against these multi-million, if not, you know, 500 million, $5 billion company like EA. Right. We got a nomination for best game and show uh, by hardcore gamer. And everybody who came to see the game, the first thing, once again, is like, I didn't even know this game was out. It was out for six months. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it started out slowly on steam. We went to uh, Xbox and PS4 Mm -hmm. and now on the, uh, the switch. So anyway, everybody who came there just loved it. And suddenly around uh, new year's and the super bowl, Mm-hmm. It went from 40,000 units to like 120,000 units. So it, it suddenly wow. got that big push. And I think uh, people are really catching on to it. And uh, it, if it goes well, and if we keep the sales going, it looks like it could turn into a yearly franchise, obviously, with lots of updates, and then some Newton League hockey and, and hopefully other sports. So mm-hmm. that's been really incredibly exciting to, to be back doing arcade style sports. But with that, as I said, over the top crazy humor. And uh, it, it's a fast-playing game. It has secret uh, uh, weapons. There are these dirty tricks you can I- I implore. 
during mm-hmm. the game. You can, uh, several times you can, like, use a shotgun. Tom Brady can be in the shotgun formation, pulls out a shotgun, and shoots his defender's face off. Ho, ho, ho. Gives a whole new <laughs> meaning for shotgun formation. You can pull out a chainsaw and slice a guy up. There's hazards on the field, sandworms, explosions, you know, baths. And it's just, it's crazy. And if this was a TV show, and actually there is some interest by a cartoon network to do another, like the, the original one had a Saturday morning cartoon show. Yeah. This game of all the games I've done, I think has the most potential to be a mega hit. And as I said, it's hard when you're an indie company, but in this world of social media and grassroots, I think that there's, you know, people as they discover it, they're more willing to even back a small independent guy like Michael, you know, mm-hmm. doing a game like this because people are kind of, you know, they've been turned off and soured by some of the tactics of the bigger companies. So uh, right. I hope the game does well. Uh, actually, when the game came out, EA tried to crush us and they uh, lowered their price of Madden uh, to wow. undercut Yeah, Yeah, right. Never been on sale. And it went from 60 or whatever it is down to like $18. They undercut us for a month or two while we were starting to trend. Huh. And we had a top spot on you know PS4 and everything else. They just wanted to knock us out of that spot. So then when you know that hard-earned money as a gamer, you go, where am I going to spend my money? Right. You have this chance. You never have a chance to get Madden for that price. Like, well, mm-hmm. that Newton Football League, I know tried and true. And Madden, right. as a, you know, it's like you're getting a Rolls Royce as opposed to, you know, they see it as a Volkswagen or cheaper, you know, product. So that mm-hmm. was really rough, but we weathered the storm. And as I said, we're picking up steam and uh, uh, we took it to a lot of shows last year and uh, having a lot of fun with it. So uh, yeah. that's the main, uh, you know, uh, focus for me right now is promoting that because I, I think that it's going to, you know, really, and it's the only game, you know, that you can, you know, the handheld football game, you know, to have on the Switch and it plays so quickly. So even if you're a Madden fan, it's like in between games go, hey, you want to take a break and play a game? <laughs> Let's play mutant football. <laughs> on the weekends, you know, you're watching the football game with your friends or the Super Bowl, you know, timeout, halftime, play a couple quick games, have some fun. It's, it's a real game. Yeah. No, and it's cool. It's on the Switch because that's such a fun, cool platform. And, you know, having that availability on there and, and something that's more pick up and play without having to make all that the time commitment and stuff that you do in a Madden game, um, yeah. having it on a switch. No, that's great. That's, that's yeah. smart. You guys ported over there. And I, I saw you were, had won some award on uh, a Sony site. Was it the push? Um, yeah. That? We just got top 20 sports game, new titles. So, I mean, that's huge. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it, you know, visually you could just watch this thing and, and just be entertained. It's really <laughs> a crazy, crazy f- platform and field and teams parodies, all the names of the NFL teams, which is, Great and parodies their names, Bomb Shady, etc. Oh, hell, Wreckham. So <laughs> that's been so much fun. And, and uh, as I said, I hope that all of your listeners, you know, give it a try, check out at least, look at the trailers, and you know, take a look at it. And, yeah, uh, be really happy with it. And other than that, I've had this uh, idea and project in mind for years. I wanted to put a uh, NBA Jam rap song together and actually get it into the EA version. But uh, when I come up with the idea kind of halfway through the recording process, they had already pre-contracted all their musical people. They had no room for it. Mark Jamal thought it was a genius idea. So I've been uh, reaching out to artists on Twitter, and I'm starting uh, to get some great artists together. And we're going to call it DJs on Fire. It's, uh, you ready to spit some fire? Time to drop the bass, DJ. Boom, shakalaka. So uh, they're going to do their own takes on uh, music inspired by NBA Jam. And then we'll do a version of my lyrics that they will do also. So we'll, I, I'm huh. hoping uh, maybe a half a dozen tracks. I've got one really uh, interesting guy, Charlie Heat, reached out to me. 
He wanted, he's hmm. a huge NBA Jam fan, and he just wants some drops because Charlie Heat. Charlie Heat's heating up. Heat Productions is on fire. So we got to yeah. talk. I told him about this, and he's like, I'm on board. You know, I want to work with you. And turns out he's got three Grammy nominations working with Kanye and Pablo. So, you know, some, some serious Damn. talent come to the table. And right now I've got one out. Uh, all this stuff, by the way, all of your listeners can find it at Twitter at Tim underscore Kitzrow. Mm-hmm. And my website is timkitzrow.com or mrboomshocklock.com. And you can also see those videos I've done for the NBA teams. It's really fun. Uh, right now with the Warriors, I'm hoping to do my third year in a row. I'm in talks with them to do highlights for the postseason. Mm-hmm. And I've got a Dub Jam song for them. Welcome to Dub Jams. What does Dub stand for? Duncan Unbelievable. Boom shakalaka. <laughs> and uh, so then it would have a you know, great song with this great boom shakalaka chorus and, and everything else. So we're hoping that they pick up on it and we'll do a highlight video with the song. I've got one called The Greek Freak and The Greek Freak Legacy Edition that uh, yeah. I just did a, a 90s night with the Bucks. And hopefully they pick up on that too and uh, get it to some media. They can use it as background when they're doing, uh, obviously, Giannis. MVP interviews and playoff interviews. So I'm hoping that that catches a little fire with the media and certainly a, a little viral action online. So mm-hmm. guys, check out my site and, and listen to that. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of fun projects going on. Yeah, no, no. And I'll have links to all this in the show notes and stuff. And um, yeah, the Bucks are hot. I don't follow the, the NBA like I used to, but I do keep hearing about him and I hear about how, what a young, you know, strong team that they have uh, yeah. there and how well they're doing. Well, it was, uh, it was great to get up there and to see him in person. And the fun uh, thing when I do these um, live appearances, you know, you get the all-access pass, and I'm just mm-hmm. a kid in the candy store. And <laughs> they go out there a couple hours before him when he's just out by himself with a trainer working out. And to see him up close and how he's blossomed in the last few years, I think he put on 50 pounds of muscle. Wow. And he's, you know, he was just such a tall, lanky, skinny kid. Mm-hmm. And to see that work that he's put in, it kind of reminds me of like that Dwight Howard, those big shoulders and just yeah, yeah, like a robot. He was like a monster. Yeah, and and yeah. isn't it funny how like you know just a few years ago, Dwight Howard was the the prototypical you know center, and it was yeah. like a step away from like Shaq and the other big, more lumbering guys. Like he was so athletic and this and that, and he seemed to be like the whole future of the NBA. And then it just kind of disappeared because first of all, you know, it came the time of the big man shooting the three and better ball handler. He had his injuries. Yeah, And it only seems like a few years ago, like the Lakers, everybody wanted him $100 million, the Rockets, and yeah. you know nothing's really worked out. And then Giannis comes along. It's like, wow, here's this. He is a freak because now he's built like this, you know, uh, a Greek god. Right. And he's got the, the steps, the moves. He's got some of the Hakeem work. And I watched him in practice. He was hitting like 60, 70% of his threes. And, I, and he, they're telling him to take like four or five a game now. And, and mm. he's dropping them with some more regularity. So when that, you know, gets a little bit tighter, his you know, mid-range and that long-range shot, it's, uh, it's fun. So what, what a fun thing for me, though, just as part of NBA Jam to be up there doing that. Yeah. Do the introductions, and I've done the introductions for the, for the Rockets and for the, for the Wizards where I come up with my own, you know, uh, intros for them, which is, which is a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah, couldn't be a better time for, uh, you know, for me. Uh, 26 years later, had I been in a TV show or had a one-hit wonder back in 93, you know, I'd, I'd probably be living in a, you know, a, a one bedroom somewhere over the you know, <laughs> beach in, in Venice, you know, with yeah, <laughs> you're right. in a bathroom, you know, very few people in the entertainment industry get that second wind. And I've been, I've been very fortunate. So, yeah. Well, and, and I'm sure like the audiences go nuts when, when you're doing those intros and those things at, at the, at the games, because, um, you know, the parents that, that all grew up playing it, you know, yeah. they're there and then they're passing along to their kids and, 
like, Hey, check yeah. this out, you know, and it's intergenerational. Yeah. Think of the core fan base, you know, the, you know, the males, you know, between whatever, 30, 25 and 45 or whatever, you know, everybody, even mm-hmm. if they didn't start out with the arcade, there are people come up to me like in their mid twenties and go, Oh, my brother had it. So I always played it on, you know, Sega or, you know, Nintendo Snest or whatever. Or so yeah, it had a longer life than I thought. Sometimes I forget just because the arcade kind of went away that they, you know, once the kids had it at, you know, at home mm-hmm. and then it was passed on to the brothers and sisters and a lot of, a lot of women too. That's the surprising thing. You know, women will come up and tell me how, important the game is because they played it with their brother forever and ever it was just like a brother and sister he didn't have mm-hmm. a brother so he forced her to play but she goes but i loved it because <laughs> right. it wasn't like another sports game it was just fun and it was crazy so uh yeah it's, it's really great connecting with the fans and being there at the stadium and, and to meet players that have you know played the game and have been in the game yeah no i'm, I'm sure that's that's great kind of talk about your you know your acting background kind of how you know that prepared you for all of this and uh, and all these amazing things you've done. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting. You know, everybody always asks me, you know, well, how do I get, first of all, like, how did you get into it? And then how do I get into the voiceover business? Mm-hmm. And, you know, my whole career path when I was younger, I played drums in high school and I loved acting. I was great, you know, on the stage and had fun. It was my place that, you know, I felt most comfortable. So, uh-huh. you know, the two hardest things in the world, you're going to be a rock star. <laughs> yeah. You're going to make your money playing drums and I tried that. bands around the country, or yeah. you're going to, you know, be an out of work actor and hitting the floorboards and auditioning and going to LA and, you know, two tough things. But when you're younger, that's, you know, you don't think about that. You just go after it. So I, I yeah. uh, was classically trained at a, a college purchase in New York and it was a, a great acting program. Stan Tucci was my roommate. Vin Raines was in his class and, uh, just so many stars that, you know, came out of there. But, you know, it's a, it's such a hit and miss business. I tried a little bit in L.A. Ended up doing some more acting stage work there instead of commercial work. Moved back to Chicago to go to Second City. Had done Shakespeare in New York and hmm. Los Angeles. And uh, in the meantime, I'm playing the game, you know, in my late 20s and, and auditioning. And uh, yeah. I, on the weekends, wanted to keep my fun and my balance. So I played drums in a little weekend warrior band, as it's known. You know, you just play yeah. once a week with friends, kind of jukebox hits, have fun. Yeah, And it turns out a couple of the guys worked for Midway, Bally, and Williams, the great uh, game company. And of course, at that time, they were known more for their, their pinball games mm-hmm. uh, in the 80s. And uh, one of the guys, uh, John Hayes, said, I-, I-, I need someone to do Mr. Howell for this Gilligan's Island pinball game. Because uh, you go to Second City, what do you think? And I went, oh, Gilligan, maybe we could bribe Kona. And that, that was <laughs> it. I got in there. I did uh, Mr. Howell. And suddenly there was just, often back in those days, the guys who are responsible for putting the music in pinball games and then later on in video games, mm-hmm. they were also uh, responsible for hiring talent, uh, yep. writing the scripts, mixing, editing, every aspect, basically producers, mixer is the whole thing. So mm-hmm. um, I'll jump ahead. One quick thing for John. Hay. Uh, it wasn't uncommon back then for the guys and they were very talented to do voices for their pinball games. Like if they felt like they couldn't do it, they would reach out or they go to a casting agent, yeah, but a lot of those original voices, including Mortal Mortal Kombat, uh, you know, Steve Ritchie, you know, mm-hmm. like it was guys out of the company, very talented people, creative people. Right. So Mark Tamell, when NBA Jam came along, he actually asked John, "Hey," and I only found this out in the last few months. He said, "Hey, John, you want to you want to do the voice for NBA Jam?" And at that time, actually, it wasn't even going to be an NBA licensed game. It was just going to be a basketball game, mm-hmm. but using the first, uh, you know, the technology of the motion capture as opposed to the um, animated Arch Rivals, which was the game before that Brian Collin of Rampage did. Yep. So John was like, he's such a great guy. And he was like, 
I guess I think Tim Kitzer would be a lot better because we had probably done four or five pinball games together. And uh, he, he, he just thought, you know, hey, I think he'd be a better fit. So just think of that. Like he turned right, down right. the role of a lifetime. And I didn't even know, like, it was no big deal because I was just on a regular basis. Hey, you want to do the shadow pinball? You yeah. want to do who Twilight you Zone? Do you Twilight Zone, right? I did uh, Serling. So it was just, I was used to getting the call. Like, I, they were my friends and, and they believed in me and I had a great time. I made 50 bucks an hour. It was extra money. Still played drums with them and still pursued my stuff. Mm-hmm. So when they said, you know, we got this game, you know, uh, this basketball game coming out, I was like, oh, great. Another gig. I, I'm so excited. I love getting all that work. It, it was a great outlet for me. And I loved basketball. I played basketball probably five days a week at the Y. Mm-hmm. Big Bulls fan. So it was the ultimate game. But I had no expectations, nothing, you know, no idea of like what to expect. Right. I said with my Second City background, I was, I was there at the training center at the time of like, it was like the golden age. You know, it was Chris Farley, Stephen Colbert, Tim uh, Meadow, Bonnie Hunt, you know, just everybody. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it really was. Uh, yeah, Colbert was there. Steve Carell and I used to audition for things together. We both auditioned for the uh, the new host of the Mickey Mouse Club, which was the Britney Spears, <laughs> Justin Timberlake, and neither one of us got it. And, right. <laughs> so the interesting thing is, you know, obviously you know what, you know, he and Tina Fey and all those other guys at the time have gone on to do. And, yeah. uh, and you know, it was, it was a bummer for me because that's what, where I did want my career to go. Mm-hmm. But in retrospect, I look back, like I got a chance to do something in the game industry that none of those guys did of writing scripts, providing comedy, you yeah. know, using my acting, my improv, my voice. So it was nice, you know, that all that background, you know, for acting, voice, writing and improv all came together mm-hmm. in this thing that I thought was just a little extra side gig. And it became a, you know, a career. And of course, it's up and down because you can't survive on even as many as titles as I did. You know, mm-hmm. there's always up and down. But uh, it's been a great platform for me to just do my thing. And, and when uh, MLB Slugfest came along, it was a dream of a lifetime to create the dialogue and yeah. these great intro improvs for a baseball game. Now I wasn't limited. First of all, the technology of Jam and all, any of the early games, you know, there, there was such limited space. That's why it became just the one-liners, not just because it was a, a style. But as we went to Blitz, technology was you know, increasing, like doubling, tripling every year. So we started to do much, much more dialogue for Blitz. That was really the taking off point for my career where I, I could do the writing as well. And then when Slugfest came along, like, well, baseball game, long pauses, stuff between pitches. Now I could really like do my thing. So that was really, I think, my crowning achievement in all the games I've done. Uh, and it still has a great fan base. And uh, NHL Hitch was different because mm-hmm. I'm not a hockey person. It's also such fast-paced action. There's not really room for that banter, you know, that I had in Blitz and Slugfest and the guys who um, uh, were contracted by Midway Sports Black Box in Vancouver. Uh, right. Hockey geeks, you know, and unbelievably, you know, knowledgeable. And mm-hmm. they put all that script together. So that's the one script I had basically nothing to do with. But it's a great game. And there are some hardcore NHL hits guys out there that have regular tournaments and this and that. Wow. It actually, um, it showed up EA at E3, as a, all the critics and fans felt like it was a better hockey game. I think there was like 2000, 2003 or something. Mm-hmm. So what they did is they went out and bought black box games for $30 million to make sure that that company couldn't put out another great <laughs> game. And most of those uh, guys, EA right, way. Yeah. Yeah, it, right after joining, they were like, wait a minute, the reason we started this really cool, funky, independent you know, uh, group in Vancouver was to be our, you know, the beginning of the millennial generation. They were all in their 20s. They didn't go to school for this. There was like a rock band and they were, they were incredibly 
is successful. And so suddenly 30 million comes along. You go, okay, well, I guess we yeah. can go join with them. And most of them right away were like, no, this, I didn't sign up for corporate, you know, and they just right. left. They went yeah. on with other more indie projects. So just going back to those original stories about indie versus big companies. Mm-hmm. And it's almost hard because there are so many good people within those big companies. They, my team on EA, you know, the producer, Trey Smith, all the hardworking, like 30 guys that would literally work around the clock. Mm-hmm. Great, great people, you know, in any business. It's, when you get as big as EA, there's so many money and financial decisions. The market was changing so quickly around them. Yep. And so many uh, challenging younger independent companies in Vancouver is a hotbed for talent and great groups out of there. Oh, yeah. I was watching who's the competition, who's the competition. And it, it, it was a tough road for them to navigate. But I, I can't say a bad thing about any of the, the, the guys who worked there. The game people were as good as any people I've ever met in the business. So mm-hmm. yeah. funny how it works. Uh, so yeah, kind of long, long, long-winded, uh, you know, no. uh, wrap up to the question. The, the acting and the improv, everything. It was like the perfect storm of, you know, when people say, how did you get into it? Well, you know, I, I forget the, the expression, like, you know, it's preparation, you know, meets opportunity. And right. so, like I had the proper, you know, background and preparation. So when the opportunity was given to me to do these games, you know, they could have, first of all, you know, gone elsewhere for all the other pinball titles, but I, you know, it did mm-hmm. a good enough job. They could have reached elsewhere then for Blitz or for Slugfest or Hit. Right. It's uncommon. Actually, I was the only guy in the business who voiced all four major league sports. So the fact that they <laughs> stuck with me, you know, it was great because I think I was growing as a talent. I was like seeing the opportunity. It was kind of like beginning of talkies after silent radio or something. <laughs> Literally NBA jam was, you were so limited. It was basically, you know, a yeah. silent movie as far as I'm concerned. Suddenly I go, okay, but if you got a good voice and you can write a script and that was like, that's what I needed. That's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, a great opportunity. And here all these years later doing mutant football league and uh, doing these things for the NBA. Once again, it's all about writing. You know, they send me clips. And it's fun to just sit at the computer at night. I get all excited. Here's the highlights from the first round of playoffs. Right. No sound. Very bizarre. Just from their live camera feed. And I go, huh, huh, huh. Play it back a couple of times. Make a couple of notes before you know it. The mic's going. And right. an hour later, it's gone. I'm sending it off to him. There it is, you know, on social media, getting a million views a week, you know, a few days later. So, oh, wow. you know, to, to go from, you know, just 26 years ago, I'd go out to Midway Games and they put you in this big booth. It was kind of like a meat locker refrigerator. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then it took so long before the game ever came out. So this immediacy of like, they send me highlights an hour or two later, I'm finished with it. It's off. It's up on the Jumbotrons on social media. Yeah. That's, That's got to be satisfying. Yeah. yeah. Faction of to be in this business, had it, you know, it stayed the same. If the technology had stayed the same for all these years, you know, I probably wouldn't have done, it certainly wouldn't have done half these things. It's so fun, mm-hmm. so immediate. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's no, fun to cool. change and change with them. Okay, quick question break. What are your thoughts so far? Do you have a topic idea, a question to ask, or a guest suggestion? Let me know at 224-484-7733 or on the gamedevadvice.com website. Yeah, and, and just kind of riffing on the, the Second City thing, I kind of two things around that I was thinking of. I worked on a game in the late 90s that was based on uh, the Clue brand. And they, we did a Clue Junior game on the PC. And we were, uh, we were doing casting and Del Close um, wow. auditioned. Wow. <laughs> and I didn't connect it, right? And, and he, yeah. he was older and he had a white beard and he, he yeah. looked kind of disheveled, you know? And it, it, it was kind of like, 
who is that? What was the story about that? And um, yeah, and for that, people who don't know, Del Close is like the guru of improv. He was at Second City at the Improv Olympic, the OI that you know everybody's come out of. Everybody, anybody yeah. who knows, you know the the current comedians, it's like that was the hotbed, and he was the the master, you know, mentor. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, Belushi and Farley and all that. And somebody told a story once, like he would wear a short sleeve shirt. He would call it his track shirt, you know, because he was battling with you know the demons with the heroin and stuff. Oh, you yeah. know, so yeah. I mean. And I believe his skull is at Second City. It's at Steppenwolf or the Goodman, and they've used it for uh, for Hamlet. That wow. Was the, <laughs> they want his skull to be used in the Hamlet. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and there was a guy named CJ, and I don't remember his last name, but he was funnier than hell. And, and he was the night watchman, and, and he was just riffing, and he was doing all this comedy stuff. And he was a guy from Second City. We, we got a taxi because we were in Schaumburg, and we recorded him out there. and. He's been on um, the commercial for, um, damn it, I'm drawing a blank. Um, Sonic? Sonic, yeah. That, that, yeah. Uh, yeah, one day all of a sudden I go, wait a minute, that's CJ. Yeah. And he's funnier than hell. And uh, he's been doing that gig for, I don't know, five or ten years maybe or something. He played uh, Mike Pence in that uh, Comedy Central, uh, the, the, uh, oh. the President show. And uh, he pops up everywhere. He does a lot of stuff for Colbert. And uh-huh. I forget the other guy who does God and all the characters for, for Colbert. He was, he was mm-hmm. on Second City at the time. And here's a, a, a fun little fact. And it was, it was kind of sad at the time when, uh, when Blitz, uh, I think it, when it went over to Blitz the League, mm-hmm. that's when uh, they decided finally, as I said, I was lucky enough to be in the seat for all those games and titles and they could have easily said hey you know what you know you've used your voice and this and that we're going to go with a different direction just for variety or or a local guy i I could have understood that but it was sad when the game where they said we're actually for blitz the league we're going to go with two new guys from second city and one thing was kind of flattering is that the the work that i did with kevin matthews on slugfest and Mm -hmm. for people who don't know kevin matthews is jimmy shorts rye uh, oh right, yeah, yeah, that's right. He was yeah, in the studio, yeah. yeah okay. He was, a, he was a, a you know guy who was on the radio for 17 years. He was a stand-up comic. Came up with all the guys, Seinfeld, everybody, you know, on the West Coast, and mm-hmm. uh, iconic radio personality here in Chicago. And uh, so when I came to Chicago, I just revered him and looked up to him, and I thought his Jimmy Short's character was so funny. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, so to be in a position when they said, "Hey." for your play-by-play or your color guy for Slugfest, do you have any ideas? We're looking at this guy from Fox Sports, this and that. I said, it's got to be Kevin Matthews, Jimmy Shorts. And mm-hmm. first they said, well, that might be too bizarre. His character is really kind of out there. I was like, exactly. <laughs> That's what we're doing here. We're, we're, and so we got in the studio and they go, well, maybe he could just do like an older kind of character. But I think the Jimmy Shorts thing is too wild. And I said, you're wasting his talents. I said, he's here. And they go, okay, improvise, you know, sell us. And they're like, we had like yeah. 10 people in the room at the new studio at Midway and Kevin and I just went into it and they were just slapping their knees and they, it was like done. <laughs> Solid. And then Sal DeVita had the great idea. He goes, you know, when the game loads, there's 60 seconds of kind of dead air because mm-hmm. why don't you guys just do an improv? Like you're up in the booth before the game. And we did like 70 of these things. Just Oh yeah. Really I remember those. Yeah. Yeah. And occasionally we would like uh, Larry David does, we would write down, a couple lines like, you know, let's do this thing about you got squirrels in your walls, or you got attacked by bees or this or that, <laughs> you know, it's just a line or two. It's like you do at Second City yeah. and we would run with it. So uh, working with him was just the best. So to, to be in Chicago, work with that kind of talent. So getting back to the NFL Blitz thing, I yeah. felt good that I kind of developed that whole comedy thing with Kevin, you know, and Sal's idea to do that extra stuff. But the mm-hmm. comedy that we developed 
it together, set this new stage for, you know, wild, wacky, irreverent, you know, uh, sports announcers. So right. they just go to Second City, get two more guys. Well, one of them was uh, Keegan-Michael Key. So he became Gator. I think Gator Brown was his uh, alias on that game. And he did, he did some great stuff on there. So fans who want to go back and look at that. Uh, wow. It was funny. And I remember I met him uh, the day we were doing that. Kevin and I were actually doing some Slugfest stuff. And they were coming in to do some of the new Blitz the League stuff. And I, and I said, you know what? Why don't we just do this for one of the uh, ad libs, you know, the improvs at the beginning. It's going to be the day that Tim gets his chair literally taken away from Keegan-Michael Key. <laughs> that's in that game. I've never heard it because, you know, I, I'd, I'd never even play games. But that's out there somewhere. It's yeah. like that comfortable moment of, like, him taking <laughs> my chair. <laughs> like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've kind of heard the stories about Boom Shakalaka and kind of where the yeah. roots of that is. And um, it makes total sense. I wonder if you want to speak a little bit uh, about that and the inspiration behind it. And now I just forgot the guy's name. And in the last year, I... I uh, Bootsy Klein, right? Wasn't it... Uh, no, no, uh, no. They, they worked in the sound department at, oh. at Midway. So anyway, he, he was Dan listening. Forden, uh, Dan Forden, Rich Carl... It's actually it's uh, it's in the um, it's in the Sports Illustrated article and uh, on the, on the website on my website whatever. But so oh, he cool. was another sound guy, and I, I feel bad that I forgot his name. But I just found this story out a year ago because I'd been asked that question, of course, forever. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I really want to say it was all me, and I should. And you know, because I'm trying to you know still copyright all these years later because I want to do you know, like a boom shock like a lifestyle brand. But uh, yeah. I guess the phrase itself was out there like in Caribbean music. There's some weird place if you look up on Wikipedia. But at any rate, uh, hmm. Sly and the Family Stone in their song, I Want to Take You Higher, there's a chorus that goes, boo, shakalaka-laka, boo, shakalaka-laka, bow, now, now. Yeah, and riff. Stripes yeah. When they're, they're out there with the guns, they're singing boo, shakalaka. But there's no M. He was saying boo, shakalaka-laka, boo, shakalaka. And so this guy, he leans out his door and yells down to John. He goes, hey, tell Tim to say boom, shakalaka. Man. <laughs> Think of how crazy that is. Wow. To, to pull yeah. something out of a cloud, you know, yeah. you know, and, and just like toss it down the hall and it became a gold mine. And that is really an amazing mm. thing that a single word, you know, uh, became iconic in the NBA and, and American lexicon, really. I mean, you to hear it in commercials and people, yeah. and if you look at the hashtags, it's everywhere. So uh, yeah, crazy, crazy background to that story. No, that's that is crazy, and it, it yeah. is so cool to have been there at the genesis of it and said that line. Because I and I and I know too back in the arcade days, it was the memory was much much more limited. And and when you were doing games yeah. on cartridges, it was always like, "Sorry, sound guys, you know you get oh, yeah. uh, you get two megs in the entire yeah. game for all of your audio or less." Yeah, and well, no, gotta compress well, it and make it work. You know, the first home version by Acclaim, and we should just mention, you know, what happened uh, NBA. Jam uh, Midway was, you'd think that they're, you know, going to, you know, make billions of dollars because it, it made a billion dollars the first year. But then you have to mm-hmm. remember, no, they just sold the turntable, you know, they, yeah. they just sold the hardware. They sold a box for whatever it was, 2000 bucks or something. It was the coin operators, you know, making the billion, a billion and quarters. And uh-huh. they were like, we want some of that. So how are they going to get more money? They had to raise the price to cabinet. In turn, then the operators jacked up that price. Finally, Mark was telling us that you know at the end they won a dollar per quarter, and they tested it at like ten sites in Chicago. And Mm -hmm. Sal and Mark were totally against the idea of raising the price per quarter. He goes, "If it's lower, people they'll play it more. They'll still spend the same amount of money, but it's more intimidating. Like a dollar per quarter." And they actually proved the numbers that it sold 
It made more money at the, you know, whatever it was, 50 cents per quarter than mm-hmm. as a dollar per quarter. And then, you know, the marketing guys and, you know, this, you know, the business guys that yeah. went, well, doesn't matter. We're, we're going to get more money up front. <laughs> it's just, uh. you know, so uh, it's a, a funny thing how, uh, so they, anyway, it was kind of like the music business. They mm-hmm. became the dinosaur in a hurry because they weren't prepared for the, the home systems. They yep. weren't in the business of, they didn't have the, the connection with, you know, Sega, Nintendo and everything else. So the only way they could really, you know, make some money off of NBA Jam was to sell the title because they, mm-hmm. I don't know what they, you know, your guess is as good as mine. How many millions did they sell that to, to acclaim? So right. acclaim, you know, put their stamp on it. And going back to like, you know, the audio in the game, I was there for a, a day or two in, in Kentucky at the studio. Mm-hmm. And he, every time I do like, He's, I think the, the original arcade game is like, he's on fire, which sounds so corny to me now, but it's like, this, <laughs> he's on fire. And he was like, no, you got to say it faster. Got to say it faster. If you listen to the home version, like, he's on fire. He's on fire. I'm like, he's on fire. Uh, I mean, you couldn't believe how much he had to clip and clip and clip. Right. Like, really? Squeeze it down. Yeah, to squeeze it down. So yeah, by the time we got to those other games, you know, it was really so much fun to like, wow, if this is where this, you know, business is going. It's like, this is not going to be a lot of fun for me. And as I said, then once that technology came along to open up, you know, the, the memory, I mean, it was just a whole new world. So yeah, it was too bad what Acclaim did, especially in 2004, they did a version, this crazy kind of cartoony animated thing. The only fun thing about that project is I got to work with Bootsy Collins. They had the interesting idea was going to be, let's do a like 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s version of basketball NBA jam style. So the sixties, that great black and white with the, you yeah. know, the, the film kind of in a little scratch voice. Oh, like, that stuff. Oh, yeah. He just, he just stuffed that basketball in there, like putting his dirty socks in the hamper. He was like trying to make it like <laughs> an anachronistic of like, you know, what they, what they would have said in the old days. It's funny. If you listen to early things are like the fifties, sixties, the guys yeah. calling a basketball game. They, you know, no one's like, he dunked it hard. It's like, Oh, he just put that thing in there. Like he was putting a cat to bat or something. <laughs> And so when it came to the 70s, you know, and I wrote most of the script for that as well, they said, well, you know, what do you want to do here? You know, and I was, I was thinking, well, we got Bootsy doing music. Why don't we get Bootsy to be the guest commentator? Uh-huh. So he fits in with me on that and gave him these great lines. And, wow. and he was so much fun. So go back. It's worth a listen or, you know, pick up that game for whatever, a few mm-hmm. bucks, if you can find it. At, uh, yeah, YouTube Shop. it. Yeah. yeah. Just, just for Bootsy, you know, the 70s version, and he did some great music for it. So that was a lot of fun. Wow. That's very cool. So, yeah, this is going to be hard because you worked on so many, so many things, and we, we've kind of talked about it, but kind of like what's, your, what's the favorite game that you worked on? Like what, what's your number one or number one and two or, you know? I mentioned Slugfest because it was the first time where my favorite part of it had nothing to do with baseball. Like it had to do just with these setups with Jimmy. It was the comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, in the other games, like the, the EA version of NBA Jam was so much fun because I could, you know, do a lot more creative lines. Like, oh, I love it when you call me Big Blocka. Or <laughs> rummaging through his girlfriend's top dresser drawer, he finds nothing but nylon. Like your mama wearing latex pants, that dunk was tight. You know, uh, <laughs> like my wife says, not tonight, rejected. You know, so. <laughs> It was like the stand-up comedian, like one-liners again, but yeah. it gave me a lot more room to be creative. But Slugfest gave me the opportunity to do what I always wanted to do. Like it could be a cartoon show, animated show, like me and Jimmy. You mm-hmm. know, the, the the bits that we did in the beginning and then throughout the game, just this crazy dialogue back and forth. So that was the most satisfying. And then since then, it's Mutant Football League because once mm-hmm. again, creating this entire 
new world and doing different, you know, multiple character voices uh, was so much fun. And then actually I had a, a, a lot of fun doing something really interesting recently, uh, Rage uh, by Blindlight. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not familiar with the game, but a, a first person shooter game. They wanted to do a voice pack for NBA Jam, so they just uh, released that on April 1st. So you can have a, a crazy kind of off the wall, you know, kind of wild sense of humor cool. of people up with uh, NBA Jam, you know. Right, right. Like a mashup there. And I'm working on a Dota Jam voice pack as well. We were going <laughs> to have it out this spring, but various different uh, things got in the way. So we're hoping for a fall release. But that that's crazy because that game, you know, has like 120 million, you know, players worldwide. Yeah. They fill up, uh, you know, huge arenas. Uh, they have a $20 million winner purse. Uh, they had in Seattle. So to get involved with that community and to do something so unexpected because it's that crazy world of Dota. If you're, you know, you and your, your folks, uh, your listeners are familiar with that to add and insert the Dota stuff into that is just crazy. So, you know, the irreverence and the kind of out of place, like, you know, out of place sports announcer in that world is, it's just a very funny idea. So that should be a lot of fun. I can see people, just having a blast doing that and just yeah. a, a new type of experience when they're playing. Yeah. Awesome. What about, and man, this is a tough question, but just like a funny or odd story from working in the industry. I mean, I'm sure you've got a bazillion of them, but like. A couple of things that are always fun to tell for, for NBA Jam. One is that the game apparently was haunted. Uh, <laughs> there was a very, you know, a tragic death of uh, Drazen uh, Petrovic uh, from oh. the, the Nets he was in the original arcade game okay. and he was in a car accident and uh, Mark Tamell told me the story for a while. I, you know, you can find it if you like Google around and, yeah. you know, internet and, but I finally got the story from him and that it was backed up by other arcade owners that he found out directly from them as well. So anyway, mm-hmm. the story goes in and, you know, midway, like at night, the sound, uh, the little office area, it's, you know, in the back of the actual factory and, and you could literally have hundreds of games out on the floor and sometimes they leave them on all night to, you know, test them. Test and it, yeah. Burn. Yeah. And, and, and just a, a funny, like a little aside, just an image of a Twilight Zone. I'm walking out of there at like seven at night. Mm-hmm. All the lights are off except the lights for the Twilight Zone game were on the floor, like a uh. hundred games. And my voice is just going and going. <laughs> Talk about walking into the Twilight Zone. Yeah. So, Apparently, the cabinet, one of the cabinets that they had out at Midway in that little cafeteria, you know, that, that had all the games in, mm-hmm. it would just suddenly kick on, wasn't booted up, it wasn't the track mode or whatever, and just started going, Petrovich, Petrovich, Petrovich. <laughs> That's crazy. And of course, there was never in a track mode. There was no reason, no, you know, it was just, and, you know, Mark and Sal will tell you if you talk to Sal later. And then wow. they corroborated by several different people, arcade owners or not bar owners that have the NBA jam cabinet around uh-huh. the country reported the same thing. So huh. that's a, a really, you know, crazy story. And yeah, uh, it is. another fun, just related uh, story about NBA jam to think how much things have changed. Now this, when the arcade came out, it became, as you know, the most popular sports game and video game and arcade game of all time mm-hmm. and surpassed a moral combat. Well, if you're an NBA player and you're in your 20s and you're Shaquille O'Neal yeah. and you fall in love with the game, well, what are you going to do when you go on the road and you're in your hotel? Well, he decided occasionally he would have an arcade cabinet brought on the road with him or other times he would have his handlers find uh-huh. out a, a bar arcade in the city he was going to be in right? and whatever and have the game brought to his room and <laughs> play the game all night with teammates and made and gambled. Wow. <laughs> 
it's I mean, you know, you can't bring a, you know, you know, you didn't have a Game Boy, you didn't have a, you know, Sega, whatever. Yeah. And it was the most popular game. And the fact also that he he liked to play his Skiles because he could hit threes. I remember. Yeah, it's a great little story. And a lot of these <laughs> stories too, uh, you probably know that uh, uh, Rayon Alley, uh, this really wonderful writer, is mm-hmm. uh, has been working on an in-depth book about NBA Jam, and he's got all those great stories. And I met him at a, a little JamCon convention recently. Oh, yeah, I saw that on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. He interviewed Shaq for a long time, and Shaq was doing impressions of me on the phone. He sent me the, <laughs> the audio bite, which was pretty mind-blowing. Wow. Uh, but uh, so it's going to be a great year for Jam. Insert coin, uh, Josh Sway, yep, who yep. Also, you know worked out at Midway and Mortal Kombat, a lot of other titles. Uh, yeah. He's doing a great documentary. We previewed it at the GVC last year, a great uh, response and mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be the first telling of a story of a you know mammoth company kind of kind of the rise and fall but more just like you know focusing on you know combat and jam and narc and some of those other crazy titles that you know will yeah. never be made again the ones like narc and rampage because you know studio like them they could take a risk you know they go oh what's the game going to be about a, a pinball game called fishtails a game called rampage where a monkey rips up buildings you know you, you don't get people taking those risks at, at big companies right. Anyway, the insert coin documentary, and there's a, a Twitter site for that, and you can see some mm-hmm. of the highlights. But uh, yeah, it's really quite something to see how all these midway guys. There's you know, so it's you know, it's like mm-hmm. this great class, alumni class. Like they, you know, Mark Tremell could have run Apple. He was actually invited to uh, come to Apple and to mm-hmm. Microsoft. Um, he, he told uh, uh, Wachowski, or what's his name? The, the, the other guy, Steve. Jo- oh, 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 Steve, uh, the other, yeah, Steve Wozniak. Wozniak. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, because Mark had made us fairly successful in, in a, a game at that time. And they thought, oh, well, if he could work with us, he could do some cool things. And Mark was like, well, I, I think, it, no, I think I'm, I'm happy where I am. And he's like, you realize, like, there were, at that time, there were like, he would have been the 17th employee. Wow. So, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of talent out there. And, and, uh, so yeah, uh, we'll see what happens with, you know, the future of arcade games, because it's been this great resurgence and guys mm-hmm. like Brian Collin are getting his due and they made rampage into the movie. Right. Combat's got this new resurgence and hopefully NBA jam does as well. So kind of come full circle. Yeah. There was an industry uh, night thing, um, you know, with the barcades popping up. Right. And, yeah. uh, uh, Eugene Jarvis was there and he was teaching someone, uh, how to play narc. And I'm like, I had to take a picture. I'm like, there's the inventor uh, t- tutoring something to play this, you know, classic game from the 80s. And uh, yeah, in Josh's movie, I had lunch with him about six months ago and uh-huh. it's getting close, right? He's getting closer and I've seen some trailers for it and yep. I'm super excited. I mean, I came in at 2000, so I wasn't around that era, but I know a lot of the people and the, the characters and um, yeah, I'm super excited for that to come out and uh you know, a joke, it's got to be part two, Electric Boogaloo, where they have to have, you know, Midway in the 2000s, because we had we had yeah. some crazy stories, too. Uh, I'm not sure quite the level of the 90s and 80s and 90s, but, you know, in the arcades and the smaller teams. But, yeah, uh, super excited for that movie to come out and um, see people's reactions and everything. Yeah, and I would like to, you know, do something, because in the last couple of years, uh, as I said, with the resurgence, I've been asked to go to uh, uh, some retro game shows. Uh, first mm-hmm. time Sal and I ever did anything together, and we had just done the GDC with Mark. So then we went out to Connecticut for a nice retro game show, and we uh, shared table with uh, with the rest of his buddies. You know, Dan Pacina and and uh, oh, all right. the guys from Mortal Kombat and Anthony and 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 that was you know the first time I met them. So we were probably out midway at the same time, just you know different times of day, or they were going into motion capture studio. Never met them. Mm-hmm. So what a blast to go out to dinner have a really, really fun time. 
Right. And so we're going to do more of those shows together. I'm actually going to Milwaukee for the yep. retro uh, Midwest Gaming Classic. Uh, this weekend. Friday, this yeah. weekend. Yep. See all those guys. And we're talking about like when Insert Coin is finally done, when the NBA Jam, the book is done to kind of put us all together to have some panels. We're like now you've got everything, everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, we could bring in Brian Collin, Eugene, whatever. So, and yeah. then my hope would be I have this dream that of putting together an NBA Jam kind of mini convention. I think Vegas Summer League would be the perfect time because you have everybody from uh, media, ex-players, owners, mm-hmm. young players, whatever. Yeah. And talk to Gary Payton about the um, – he's got three of the NBA Jam cabinets that we had uh, specially made for Michael Jordan, uh, King mm-hmm. Griffey Jr., and Gary Payton. And Gary got three of them for himself. Wow. And uh, we met and we've talked a few times. I, I saw him again at the Hall of Fame. And I said, we got to do a shootout at your place, you know, and bring Shaq in and some OG players and – whatever mm-hmm. and do, do the, and maybe Josh. So but I thought, well, maybe here's the way to do it. Let's do a charity, like, you know, Shaq, Gary Payton, whatever, a couple of these OGs, mm-hmm. do a Vegas party in a, you know, ballroom or something. Yeah. And, and now I'm working on the music project. It's going to have a half a dozen NBA jam songs, a live entertainment, the DJs playing all great music from the nineties. And then the original music by the artists I've been working with mm-hmm. have uh, the book, the, this and that, and bring in those cabinets and have people see the first time ever wow. the Jordan, game played live and you know maybe he could even part with one for a huge auction you know for charity yeah Uh, but if not though just to to have a party and to have other you know nba jam games and other arcade games kind of like a a festival Mm -hmm. and bring in young players and and as i said do it for a good cause everybody has has a fun time and you invite as many of the og guys that were 90s duos and you know the the third or fourth person on the nba jam rosters would be great to put them all together and you know, kind of have a party and, and show the younger guys like what NBA mm-hmm. Jam was all about. Yeah, yeah, like a big con. Yeah, I, I can totally yeah. see that. And uh, yeah. Vegas is a perfect place for something I like mean, that. I mean, the perfect challenge is like Shaq. I mean, he, right. you know, throw down some money. He's like, okay, here for charity. We're going to bet you, you know, like $300,000 on this game against, you know, the greatest player, like, you know, NBA Jam player who does competitions everywhere. Yeah. You know, it'd be great. Or against another OG that just wants to show off like, his skills from back in the day go up mm-hmm. against Shaq. Maybe it's one of his old buddies from, from the magic, but that could be so much fun of like competitions of saying, you know, yeah. the winner is going to donate this money. And, and uh, you get, I mean, what a fantasy for a fan. You get to play Shaq or get to play yeah. Steve Smith or one of these, you know, other great players. Speaking of Steve Smith, that was another uh, odd moment when also when you're invisible, like I, I am because as a voice actor, people don't know your face. Right. I ran into Steve Smith and someone pointed out to him they wanted to introduce us and said, hey, that guy uh, over there, hey, Steve, that's the guy from NBA Jam who did the voice. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that person said it. So I'm walking over like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm meeting Steve Smith, Hall of Famer, blah, blah, blah. Right. He goes, are you really the guy? I go, what? He goes, are you the NBA Jam guy? I go, yeah. He goes, oh, I can't believe it. Wait till I tell my kids I met you. He's like, what? That's fucking <laughs> my line, dude. Right, right, right. He's like, we were just playing in the basement yesterday. I go, what do you mean you were playing in the basement? You know, he goes, yeah, I got the NBA Jam arcade you know, cabinet down there. I go, how did you get an arcade cabinet? Yeah. Something I never knew. He goes, well, I was in the game. And actually, I went, oh, yeah, duh. But he goes, <laughs> but I still didn't know why he had a cabinet. Like, he's such a big fan. He goes, yeah. that was our payment for everybody who was in NBA Jam as a, you know, a, you know NBA player. Mm-hmm. They received a free cabinet. So right. he's still got it. He goes, my you know, kids love it and we love it. Yeah, that was just a, a head-shaking, scratching wow. moment for me. No, 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 that had to be surreal. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember when, when Midoriative Games on test, you know, they were used and abused a little bit to a certain degree, and, and it was to see how they would earn, but they couldn't then turn around and sell them yeah. to distributors. So that was 
that was one of the perks of, you know, when you worked on that game yeah. that you could then buy it um, for sales tax and it was all legit on the up and That's up right. and you know, you had a purchase order and yep. bought it. And then like, you know, Brian and Eddie and I were driving around in a U-Haul the arcades reclaiming um, Arctic thunders and loading wow. them in the U-Haul. And I've got two sitting in my basement right now from, isn't uh, that crazy? Yeah. I don't remember uh, when I was doing the pinball games, they also offered me, and I forget what it was, whether it was just tax or if it was 400. I don't know if you remember the price for I was like a new cabinet, a video mm-hmm. game or, or pinball. But anyway, it was at like the lowest possible rate. It was in the hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Uh, I had no room, just had a smaller place at that, that time. And I wish that I did. And I went to Mark Turmel's oh, uh, right. His house. place one time uh, down in uh, Greektown. He had a, a really nice place. Uh-huh. He had a, a Super Bowl party, and I walk in. It was like an arcade. There were like ten machines right as you walk through. Mm-hmm. There's NBA Jam and everything. So I always wished that I had been able to do that. And I was talking to Sal about that when when Mark and I were together. He goes, "Yeah, he goes. I had my whole basement filled for years in Chicago. I had like ten games and you know mm-hmm. Blitz and a, you know Mortal Kombat that was like never played." He goes, "And I moved to Texas. I'm like I don't want to deal with this stuff anymore." So I just called up someone from an arcade and said, "Come take it away." <laughs> <laughs> You're like, "Oh man." Gave away like vintage, right. you know, Put like in storage, so condition. You know, it could have been signed by Sal Vita. He's like, I know, I just did. I was maybe stupid. <laughs> yeah, Brian in his basement. Uh, he had all of his pinballs chronological. Yeah, you know, so the first one he worked on to the last. And I was, you know, you walk downstairs, you're just like, wow, it's really cool. Yeah, I've had a great time going to these shows, and I went to the one in Seattle, and then last year uh, their their big Northwest, uh, uh, you know, gaming show. And it's just great to see the old, the really old pinball machines too. And then they have competitions. I was fortunate to be a guest speaker there with, you know, Steve and Mark Ritchie and a bunch of guys. And that yeah. was fun. My first time doing that. But the really fun thing was there was an after party on the, the island uh, across the, the way. It was Todd McCulloch, former center for the Sixers, played with Iverson huh. in the finals. Uh seven foot two, like 400 pound dude. <laughs> and he said, he goes, I was going to be the classic you know, ex-athlete that was going to have a big muscle car collection. I had this like three-story garage, three, four, you know, you know, lanes deep. Mm-hmm. And I started to buy my first cars. And I, at that time, he said, I fell in love with arcades because I had always loved them. But here in Seattle, there were so many people with these old ones. And yeah. I started yeah. collecting them. And he goes, I sold all my cars and he redid it. So he's basically got a museum wow. at his place. His garage is basically, it's probably 10,000 more square feet three levels and on the top level are like his you know coup de gras like he has a 1930s baseball game all hand carved wood like babe ruth is like you know 150 200 thing but at the Crazy. second floor is like a dave and busters but with all the great 90s games and the first floor mm-hmm. has like every vintage ar- arcade uh, game and pinball game from you know 30s and 40s so that was really fun wow. to see for me to start to like i'd been in this business and like you you know out of midway Saw a lot of stuff, but I didn't really know like the whole history. And there, there aren't any museums around here. So I was getting my first taste going to these shows and then to Todd's house to really see what an incredible, rich, you know, like storied history this business has and how many beautiful yeah. works of art, you know, created mm-hmm. you know, throughout mm-hmm. the years. So it's really, you know, more flattering after all these years to realize I'm part of that community, fortunate enough to be part of it and, and to, to mm-hmm. share and to see all these things and meet people from different museums around the country and you know, luckily preserving them and, and people that, you know, keep things up at the arcades and a guy right. uh, uh, out in Galloping Ghost, right? I got to throw that yeah, out. Of course. Yeah, Galloping yeah, Ghost, I mean, I mean the, the largest in the country, right? Yeah. Or maybe even the world. 
last time I talked to him, he's like 735. It's incredible. Yeah, he, and he crazy. just opened up yeah. an entire new building with just for pinball. And I'll, I'll see him. At, uh, oh, I heard about that. I'm going to yeah, get out there and do some stuff with him because it's just incredible that he's, he's done all that, you know? Right. And like Stern pinball, like this, you know, all the success they're having and uh, you know, Gomez uh, makes sense for you to ping you and do some, some work on the pinballs yeah, and too. And now um, there's a new yeah. place, Princess Arcade, uh, Jeremy Fox, I believe, you know, just started that. So it's just great to see these people willing to, you know, put their own hard sweat and money into, you know, bringing the arcades mm-hmm. back. And yeah, and Stern's been great because uh, I did a game with them a few years back. It was, uh, what was it, NBA pinball. And with uh, Bally, okay. I did fast break, you know, it was NBA, you know, jam meets pinball. So it was nice to be called back right. in. But at the time they were in Melrose Park and he was like, yeah, I don't know if their company's going to hang on. It was like, you know, I don't know how many years ago, but it was like right before the resurgence. That's pre-private yeah. equity. Well, yeah, before yeah. the private and equity thought, came in and helped turn it, around. It was, yeah. it, was, it was the last pinball company. It was before Jersey Pinball, I think, started up. And it, it, it could have mm-hmm. been it. It could have been like the dinosaur just gone. And then they got this resurgence. Right. You know, wisely, I, I think they've taken on all these um, – huge franchise titles because like in Hollywood, mm-hmm. it's like you know, they're doing Batman and you know, the, the star Wars and everything else, Metallica, right. big bands. It, it's a trend. Um, Iron Maiden. And I did talk to those guys. I said, aren't, aren't you a little frustrated? Like that you can't do completely crazy original ideas the way like fish tales and a lot of crazy titles were back at Midway. And they mm-hmm. said, we're, we're getting to that point again. It's like, you know, we had to have, you know, kind of surefire things and, Go with that because yeah. a lot of the business is driven by collectors and overseas collectors and Asian collectors, yep. and they like the big Hollywood titles and the music names right. and the Rolling Stones and this and that. So uh, I did just do a mm-hmm. cameo for a Dead Deadpool though this summer. Oh yeah, I was at the launch party over the summer. Yeah, they were at arcade. I did the um, vampire for that. So that was a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah, and and just to see that facility because George gave me a tour a few years ago, and you know it's right out there by yeah. O'Hare, which makes sense. And we we're walking around, and you know. A bunch of those cabinets were, you know, it's Germany, yep. Italy, you oh, know, yeah. France, and you know, between that and the home enthusiasts, yep. you know, they they have these big unboxings on YouTube, yep. and you know, tiered cabinets, so you, or pinballs, you can get different levels of trim depending yep. on your, you know, your budget, and it's just, uh, it's really cool to see how successful it's, you know, the resurgence has been, and and how well George yep. and Greg Frere's uh, oh, artists and artists. Yeah, well, all yeah. those guys are you know keeping it going and and um, doing yeah. great stuff. Well, this is this has been a lot of fun, uh, and I you know I, yeah. as I said because I've talked with so many people and is the fun of like meeting people through Twitter and social media. I had totally forgotten mm-hmm. about our original connection, <laughs> and so it's nice to really uh, kind of go back through some of those stories with you and and look forward to seeing you in the coming uh, weeks, if uh, not sooner. So uh, thanks yeah. for having me on and and. Uh, uh, really great to know that there's a community out there that would actually listen to this and have some fun in these, you know, facts and details. Uh, it is, a, it's a rich, you know, a business and, uh, you know, place with so many stories and great people. So at least for that community, I think everyone will really appreciate uh, the work you're doing. Yeah, no, And I appreciate you being on. I'm going to have links to everything in the show notes and um, I'll share on Twitter when this goes live. And yeah, I think people are going to really enjoy this, this podcast. And, uh, learned a lot and be reaching out yeah. to you for, you know, voiceover yeah. work because a lot of listeners are developers. I mean, exactly. that's what this podcast yeah. is about. And so you should have some people reaching out to you after it's it goes awesome. live. So thanks for listening to this episode of game dev advice, the game developers podcast. If you found it interesting or helpful, 
please leave a five-star review. I'd really appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe. I have a lot of great episodes coming out. As always, I want to hear from you, the game development community. So give me a call at 224-484-7733 or reach out on the website, gamedevadvice.com. I want to know your struggles, your questions, and your ideas, since the podcast is really about you, the fellow game developer, and our game development community. Thanks and take care.